0: How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Apples and Geno's Fantasy Hockey Podcast. My name is Josh Hutchinson, and once again, I got my boy John Binkle with me here today as usual. How you doing, John? It's your boy. I'm here. I'm wearing a collared sweater. I'm good. Hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah. Look at this backdrop we got here. I I didn't realize that this backdrop existed. I mean, okay, if the on the audio, this isn't going to make any sense, but... Uh, there's this new backdrop. I think Nate's been been fucking around with graphic design and uh, it looks pretty cool. It <laughs> doesn't does. have our doesn't have our Twitter handles. Unfortunately, it's got Nate and Blake's, but uh, uh, it still looks still looks pretty cool. Um, yeah. If you want to follow us on Twitter, I'm at just Josh and one, as you can see below my face and Binksy is at Binkle Mania, as below as is below his face. <laughs> All right, Pinksy, <laughs> let's do a nice uh, nice little invasive uh, life question. If you could eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be?
1: All right. As always, I'm a super literal dude, so I have, I have a question before I answer the question, right? Okay. If it's one meal for the rest of my life, am I getting the same nutritional value out of any meal? Or if I choose chicken parm, am I going to be obese? Am I going to okay, be like let's, the let's dregs leave, of no, the earth.
0: No, let's just go straight taste because okay. like nutritional value, let's leave that completely out of it because I feel like that kind of, that kind of fucks with it a little bit too much. Okay.
1: All right. Um, my, my pardon the pun, sorry, but, uh, my gut instinct is to say, uh, BLT and like classic Lay's potato chips. Like I love a BLT. I get a hankering for a BLT all the time. like way too much mayo, some fresh lettuce, some like thick cut bacon and some thick cut tomatoes uh, on any kind of bread I'm happy with, but like some some like nine grain whole wheat, nice and crispy. yeah, nice. that's that's my choice. and then uh, and then just a side of classic potato chips or cr- just you, classic
0: you... original chips, hey?
1: What do you, what do you, Nucks call them? Crisps?
0: No, that's British. Oh, that's, okay. a, that's a British thing. Yeah. 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 My, uh, uh, my brother in law is, is from England and he calls them crisps. But, uh, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're chips as well. If that's okay. a North American staple. Uh, All right. yeah. No, my, my wife is a big fan of original, original lays. She loves, uh she's she's come to love just like the og just salt and and olive oil or whatever they put on it can oil canola oil um cancer oil, pretty much i would say yeah exactly (laughs) my my uh my meal would be poutine i'm I'm a true canadian man i I, poutine is one of the greatest creations of of (laughs) that that humans have ever made (laughs) and <laughs> Y'all, I know
1: you can't see this on the audio recording, but the way he looked off into the distance thinking about poutine was beautiful. Your face, <laughs> like you were a thousand miles away and like swimming in poutine in your
0: eyes. Is great. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Swimming in a pool of gravy, cheese curds and fries. its its There's nothing better than that. Uh Last night, literally my wife and I ordered takeout um and we got this there's this place called mac and wings in belleville it's i don't know if it's it must be a chain um but this is the first location i've ever seen um so i don't know if it's relatively new but uh they had a poutine mac and cheese which was so the base was macaroni with cheese sauce obviously mac and cheese but then on top like like mixed in was uh cheese curds Tater tots, gravy, and crispy onions. And it was fantastic. It was so, so good. There's so many different things you can do with poutine as well. Like, obviously, whenever I try a new poutine place, I like to get the classic. Like, just the classic cheese curds, gravy fries. Just to see, like, what they can do. What they're working with. But then you can kind of mix lots of different things in there. You can mix in veggies, Make it a little bit healthier. You can mix in f- fucking pierogies. I've seen pierogi poutines. Those obviously, like, you feel like you're gonna have a heart attack after. But yeah. uh, I mean, I'm seeing so many why different- you
1: didn't you didn't care about the health value here.
0: I'm seeing Yeah, um, yeah, cuz I knew what I was going to say. I was like, well, yeah, well, I'm going to die when I'm in the next 10 years if I if I'm eating poutine for the rest of my life. So I don't think yeah, it would anyway. take a decade. I think it would be like 4 <laughs> or 5 yeah, years, maybe two two years. Yeah. All right, man. Let's jump into our topic of the day. So today, we're going to follow up on our previous shows where we talked about the top 25 forwards and the top 20 D from the 2022-23 season. Um, in terms of Yahoo ADP, uh, we looked at how those players fared um, after this, or like once the season was over, and what we expect from them in the coming season. So today, we're going to look at players who were drafted outside of the top 25 for forwards and top 20 for D, but played themselves into the top 25 or top 20 by the end of the year. Um, now, obviously, the um, like we mentioned before on the previous episodes when we talk about end of season rank, we're talking about using a scoring. Um, that's tends to be the most used uh, scoring system within the fantasy hockey. I, I don't know within the fantasy hockey community. So that's what we're using. So that's goals are four and a half points. Assists three points. Shorthanding points are worth one shots are worth 0.5. Uh, blocks are also worth 0.5 and hits are worth 0.25. So, We'll jump right into it. I'm gonna get you to kick us off because we're kicking off with a a, 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 a huge Dallas star here. So why don't you kick us off, Banksy? Uh
1: I'm gonna go ahead and say the Dallas star at this point. Yeah, Robo Jason Robertson, um, pure left wing, um, ended up seventh. His ADP 48, 46 goals on the season, also seventh, 63 assists, tied for tenth and 313 shots on goal, which was surprisingly ninth. He ended up with 41 power play points, which left him fifth, a total of 109 points in the shooting percentage, almost four points lower than last year. The ice time up a bit to 1850, and the shots per 60 metric left him eighth with 12.16. Individual Corsi four per 60, 11th, 21.94, and individual scoring chances four per 60, 22nd. 11.92 all career highs. There was a stretch of the season that or the early portion of the season where he was so massively successful and the stars were so massively successful offensively that I was at that point ready to say that he was a top eight draft pick that tapered off a bit, uh, especially towards the tail end of the season and the early portion of the playoffs where he was just not able to score. Like it became a thing in the playoffs that he was just not able to score. And when he finally broke the seal, he got back to being the, the per 60 player that we expected. Nothing's changed in Dallas with the exception to the addition of Duchenne um, and, and Domi heading out the door. So I very much expect the same thing. I think that there is a possibility that he goes to another level, but I don't expect it. I think that, the player that he ended up being at 109 points is, is exactly what we can expect from him again this season. I don't see any reason to believe that that things change production-wise out of hints that change production-wise out of Pavelski. So I think the system gets another year under their belt, and Robertson maintains this level of success. I'm curious... Do you pick him in the top ten, or is it is it early second round for you?
0: I think it's it's back half of the first round to early second round for me. So, yeah, I'd say like the ten to fourteen range is reasonable for Jason Robertson. Um, I like him a lot. I like his underlings. Like he was pretty unbelievable. I I think it's. Uh. I don't think it's like I I think it's reasonable to expect him to get over 100 points again for so for me that's a that's a first round player there's just so many people the scoring is up in the league so there's so many people that are right around there uh, for getting 100 points Um, I think I still put I put him behind Matthew Kachuk I put him behind um, guys like Miko Rantanen um, but he's right there so Um, I think, yeah, like I think 10 is a pretty reasonable, I think right at 10 is, is a pretty nice number for him in terms of where I would draft him. So, um, I don't know. I haven't looked at projections yet, so we'll, we'll see, but I, I, that's where I would expect to be drafting him is, is, is like late first round, early second round. Um, so the next guy we got here is Elias Pedersen. Uh, he is a center and left wings. Nice little dual eligible player there. Um, he ended up eighth in terms of a rankings. Um, his ADP was 51.4. He had 39 goals, 63 assists. Uh, 63 assists was tied for 10th in the league. Nine shorthanded points, which was tied for first with his teammate JT Miller. 257 shots on goal, 89 blocks, which was second amongst forwards. And... 25 power play points, which is actually tied for 51st, which is kind of surprising, because Vancouver's power play was was pretty solid. Um, His IPP was 75%, which is the highest since his rookie season. Uh, Shooting percentage is in line with his career averages, um, even though it was technically the lowest of his career. On-ice shooting percentage was 14.05, which is super high. Uh, He had the highest time on ice of his career by two minutes, uh, which is 2033 uh, shots per 60 67th individual course for per 60 44th individual scoring chances for per 60 83rd uh, but they were all career highs and his scoring chances individual scoring chances for per 60 were over 10 um so i really like elias patterson uh i'm not sure that i am ready to say that he's a first round player um but he's certainly worth drafting higher than he was last year i think he's probably a second round player, like maybe mid, mid second round. Um, That's probably where I'm looking at drafting Pedersen next year. So uh, what do you think, Banksy? What, what is your feel on Pedersen? I
1: think that's a, a really reasonable place to put him. I think that he's incredibly consistent. The situation is very much the same. I'm, more likely to draft J.T. Miller a few rounds later and expect very similar output, but the variability for Miller is a little bit scarier than with Pedersen, right? Pedersen's super, super consistent and Miller kind of up and down emotionally, even though the, the stats that come out have been pretty much the same while in Vancouver. So, I'm not as excited about Pedersen. I'd be pretty wary of drafting him in the second round. I'd be pretty wary of drafting him in the third round, but you get a lot of success out of drafting Pedersen when other people are taking a left and you take a right, right? Or rather they take a right wing and you take a left wing. Um, So consistent though. So, so, so consistent as a player and, he is the star of the show for them right like they made it a point to make him the guy and the metrics are great so they were all career highs last year but the situation continued to defer to him to put him in a place for those career highs to come into action so emotionally i don't love it but he is a very fantasy capable player and and I think it's still going to work out for you if you draft him at a place where I don't love to draft him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, I think the dual eligibility helps a little bit there. Um, But, I I mean, we'll see how it shakes out. In terms of comparing to JT Miller, I think I'm a little higher on Miller just because of the peripheral upside. Um, He gets all those hits. Um, So I think I like Miller, and it kind of offsets the – um, the concern about offensive consistency. So for me, I still think I'm a little higher on Miller than I am on Pedersen, but Pedersen definitely, I'm drafting him a little higher than I would have last year. Definitely. Jack Hughes is our next guy, center left wing as well. He ended up 10th. Um, At his end-of-season ranking, his ADP was 82.7, which is surprising to me. That's not where he was drafted in most of the leagues that I was in, but that it was his average Yahoo ADP. Uh, He was getting drafted more in the third and fourth round in, in leagues that I was in. He had 43 goals, which was eighth in the league, 56 assists, 336 shots on goal, which was fifth. Doesn't hit, doesn't block. Uh, he had 31 power play points, which was tied for 22nd. Uh, his shooting percentage was actually down from the previous year. Uh, it was 12.8%. Shots per 60 were 6th in the league, 12.95. Individual courts at 4 per 60, 13th at 21.34. Individual scoring chances for per 60, 9th at 13.18. All career highs. And that's the thing. Is his underlying numbers... Going into the season, that's why people were drafting him so high, is because he had these amazing underlyings. Um, and he had shown that stretch the year before when he was healthy that he was could potentially be dominant. That's why people had him so high on their list. Um, but he exceeded expectations and was unbelievable. He was a top 10 player in the league. Um, his Time on ice also was up to 1957. Um, so, and I I mean, I don't see any of that changing in New Jersey. He's the guy, he's their, he's their top guy. He's got Timo Meyer on his wing. He's got Jesper Bratt. Um, they really shored up that top six, bringing in Tyler Toffoli. So really, even if there is some, some mixing around with the lines, Jack Hughes is in a great situation to play with quality players and just keep doing what he's doing he's the play driver and things are just going to get better for him so i liked jack hughes probably early second round probably pretty similar position to jason robertson actually like very similar like i would say late first round early second round for jack hughes for me even though there isn't a ton of peripheral upside there what do you think bixie
1: the situation is absolutely phenomenal. It's it's weird to me that the daily faceoff has uh, Heisher is the line one center, right? Um, yeah. I mean Hughes is the franchise player. Like you know we're talking about a captain and Heisher, a really quality center, and the top six is phenomenal. But it's weird to me that they don't that they don't think that he's going to be line one. When I don't even think it's a question for me that he is the line one player for them. Um, I don't don't love that you're not getting any peripheral weight, though, right? Like, you're getting absolutely none. So he is going to have to be, like, a world beater to finish higher than 10th. And with it being Jack Hughes, it wouldn't shock me if a lot of people were drafting him at the back end of the first round, and you're having to really reach to get jack hughes on your team so there are some there's some scary parts to his value but you know we're talking about him coming into his age 22 season maybe um yeah 22 this year and every year of his career thus far he has gotten notably better and had noticeably better results so i think there is certainly a possibility that he ends up as a more than 100 point player in this season and if you see him get into the 14 15 16% shooting percentage then you know we're talking about a 20 minutes average time on ice player that shoots at 12 plus percent then then everything is really really good there and they somehow managed to get better in the talent around him so you know he is the guy Maybe I don't take him at the spot that you're going to have to draft him, but if there is any opportunity for you to get him at a value, you have to take it right back into the second round is, is an automatic, you know, is there a world where he makes it into the third round? I don't think so, but a third round player. Absolutely. Absolutely. So first round is too early for me. Beginning of the second round is too early for me, but if he is there and I'm, I'm drafting in the back half of the second round, it's pretty much automatic for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. All right, why don't you take the next guy here?
1: Tage Thompson, center and right-wing eligible, ended up 13th with an ADP of 141. So the absolute fucking value of the year. 47 yep. goals left him 6, 47 assists. Um 295 shots on goal was 11th, and 34 power play points was tied for 15th. He ended up with a total of 94 points and the highest shooting percentage of his career at 1593, although only a touch higher than last year. IPP was highest of his career, uh, 7402 for that IPP. Time on ice, 1835, also highest of his career, and the shot metrics per 67th. Corsi four per 60, seventh, and individual scoring chances four per 60, 19th, all major career highs. So he obviously turned a corner that a lot of people did not see coming. Buffalo is in another stratosphere in terms of of team and output. They're going to be missing Quinn for a while, so the depth is a little bit lower uh, considering his major injury. So there's a possibility that he even eats – more minutes tage thompson so everything is on the up and up how high are you gonna have to draft him he finished 13th and he's dual eligible so i mean how high are you gonna have to go for tage thompson like i feel like a lot of people are going to be taking him at the back end of the first round and hoping that he goes even higher with production do you do you do you want to do that? Are you going to be drafting him with first level players or or is it second round or bust for you with Tage Thompson?
0: For me, it's second round. So I think I think if he's there in the middle of the second round, it's it's a must pick. Um Yeah, I feel, I, I have a feeling that he's going to be drafted right where he needs to be drafted. He just feels like one of those guys. Um, where as, as much as Buffalo is on the up and people are starting to notice, I still feel like he's not going to get as much respect as guys like Jack Hughes, guys like Jason Robertson um, that really, really stood out. Um, So I feel like, I feel like Tage Thompson is probably going to be a second round guy and that's probably where you're going to see him a lot of the time. So um, that's probably, yeah, I, I mean, I hope that that's the case. I like Tage Thompson a lot, uh, I wish I pulled the trigger on him more last year, um, but I did not. So, uh, but yeah, I, I, I like second round for me is is where I'm liking to draft Tage Thompson for sure. Uh, our next guy is Braden Point, so he is a center only. Uh, he ended up 14th. Uh, at end of a season rank, his ADP was 108.5. So another big jump there, not quite as much as Thompson, but quite a jump. Um, He had 51 goals, which was fifth, 44 assists, 235 shots on goal and 30 power play points, which was tied for 25th. Um, 95 points, which was a career high for him. He had a very reasonable IPP, very normal for Braden points, shooting percentage highest of his career, 21.7. That is a crazy high shooting percentage for anyone. Uh, he's typically around 15 to 17 percent. Uh, he he did have the highest time on ice of his career at 1940. Shots per 60, 99th. Individual, of course, he four per 60, 134 first. And but individual scoring chances four per 60, 14th. So he gets. Great opportunities, even though he's not a high volume shooter. He's right in the thick of things. So that's pretty interesting. I do think that there's going to be some negative regression in terms of his shooting percentage because 21.7, that's just not going to happen every year. So I don't think he's a perennial 50 goal guy, uh, but he's still a player that's worth taking, obviously, higher than 108. Um, I think probably more like a fourth and fifth round guy, uh, especially because he's center only. Um, So that's a guy that I think you can pretty much expect to get 85 points if he stays healthy. This is another thing is that a lot of people shied away from Braden Point because he's had injury troubles in the past, similar to Kucherov. Mm -hmm. Um, He was a guy that I was super high on, a guy that I'm proud to have drafted in numerous leagues. Like I was all in on Braden Point for value. Um, because I felt like he was being drafted way lower than he than he should have been. Um, so he's a guy that I got in a lot of leagues, and and it really was huge for me. So, um, I like Braden Point, but not at 14th. Like, he's he's a little bit, I think there's going to be negative regression, but still like him a lot. Those individual scoring changes for 60, that's pretty crazy considering uh his low shot and shot attempt uh volume. What do you think, man? Well, I mean,
1: you're talking about low shot volume in reference to the rest of the league, right? Like 235 shots on goal is not, not anything really to write home about. However, that is a career high for him, right? So you're talking about a career high in total shots attempted and in shots on goal and in goals and shooting percentage. So the regression doesn't scare me as much as it probably should right it's looking over his career when he takes an an upper spectrum amount of shots his shooting percentage also goes up his goals also go up those things seem to fall in line so I'm not so much concerned that his his output isn't repeatable as much as it is is he going to continue that, right? Like, injury concerns pushed him down last year. And, you know, him being a smaller stature guy with an injury list, re- like, that's laundry list long, like, that part concerns me in the same way. But can he get the shot output and get the the conversion out of those shots doesn't scare me as much. Like, we're talking about an 18% average shooter over his career and 21 is not too significant of a jump considering that he is pretty repeatedly an 18% guy. Right. So what interests me most about these, these metrics is that when he gets a huge bulk of shots, he is converting more and not less. So I'm actually kind of bolstered by that. Like I believe that he is more of, a gunner and when he gets to shoot repeatedly, when he gets into that mode, then he becomes more of a scorer and less, less of a facilitator on an all-star laden team. Right. So I, I actually believe more than I did last year and I'm, I'm willing to draft him come fourth round. Like the center pushes it down a bit. If he were, like dual eligible it would it would be maybe third round level for me but but fourth and fifth round even at center that feels very very good for me at brayden point and any point after that seems like phenomenal value
0: quite as 50 goal season that i can remember honestly i don't yes. think i don't think anyone was really paying attention to that all right why don't you take the next guy here bingsy Next
1: one on the list is Timmy Stu, dual-wing eligible at center and left wing, ended up on the season 16th. His ADP was 90. He ended up with 39 goals and 51 assists on 228 shots on goal. He had 114 hits and 28 power play points, which left him 36th. His 90 points total was a career high and an IPP of 73%. The shooting percentage, 1711. 12.4 and 10.8 the previous two years. His time on ice was way up at 21.15. Your question here is, with Norris returning, does that affect that and how much? Mm -hmm. His shot metrics per 60, 128. Corsi 4 left him 85th and individual scoring chances for 86th. All of those were career highs, but not especially impressive in terms of reference to the rest of the league. Might be some negative aggression due to a high score, shooting percentage and potential decrease in time on ice. We've talked about this recently more in reference to to Josh Norris. I have real concerns about Norris's ability to come back and get that I was injured, this is my spot kind of situation. Pretty serious injury, pretty important injury to a shooter like Norris. I feel like Stutzla has really... Pretty easily cemented himself into that role, and they're going to let Norris be whatever he's going to be. Right. So, can he repeat it? I, I really think that he can. I am a little bit concerned about the time on ice jumping down a minute, maybe two minutes, right, just based on more availability. But, um, you know, Debrinket's going to get shipped, right? They're going to need somebody to shoot more. And even if you see a little bit of time on ice dip, I think them leaning on him heavier, needing some more offensive weaponry kind of evens that out. So I am still very, very excited about Stutzla. I was really excited going into last season about Stutzla and Norris in general. And I consistently chose Norris over Stutzla because of the possible ceiling and Stutzla ran away with it with Norris not being available. So I'm a I'm a believer. I'm a little bit shaken in my resolve as far as Ottawa goes. Do you do you feel the same way about the Senators, or do you think do you think just like last year that they're primed to be a much better team? Like do you do you still believe, or was was this season enough to tell you this isn't going to work out like we thought it would?
0: No, I think there's going to be improvements. I think their big issue was goaltending. Um, I think hopefully Corpasello helps with that a bit, although he's kind of unproven, I would say. Um, and they're maybe relying a little bit too much on him, and maybe they're expecting more than than they probably should. Um the addition of Jacob Chikrin as well, I think is huge on defense because that's another struggle that they've had. Um, so I, I think they are going to be better in general, and and Chikrin helps offensively too. Like, don't get me like he is a, he is a premium offensive defenseman in, in the league. Um, as far as Timmy Stutz goes, uh, even with the subtraction of Debrinkit, I still feel like um, I still feel like there's still high upside with Stutzla. Um, obviously, I don't think he's a second round player like he uh, like the way he played last year. Uh, And don't get me wrong. Like when I say that I have questions about his time on ice um, with Norris coming back, I don't think Norris is going to come back as a top line center. I think, like you said, Stuthla has earned that right. Um, But I do think that there's some minutes that are going to be taken away from him just because Norris is someone that they can rely on a little bit more. Like last year, their their top line center for a good chunk or their second line center for a good chunk of the of the year was either Derek Broussard or Shane Pinto. So that's not yeah. really what you want. So I think Stutzla took the lion's share of five on five minutes just because there was not really anyone else. So with Norris coming back, I think that changes things a bit. So, um, I think his production dips a little bit next year, but I still think he's a viable player. I still think he's a point per game guy, probably 85 points, I would guess. Um, And probably I'd be drafting him in a similar range to Braden Point. Um, I think they're very similar and will probably end up evening out being pretty similar in terms of production. So, um, yeah, I would say probably fourth round is is nice for Tim Stutzla, especially with that dual eligibility there. Before
1: we move on, as far as the power play goes in Ottawa, With bring leaving who is who is the shooter for them do you think stutzla moves over there do you think norris goes to the to the net front and and stutzla becomes the shooter or do they move brady kachuk to the shooter like how does how does that strategy work out in your mind
0: i think it's probably batherson i think i i I would guess uh, if debrinkit does in fact get traded, because there is a possibility that he stays there and gets dealt later, um, I think it's probably your top your top unit looks like um, Kachuk has a net front, uh, Norris and Batherson on the flanks, Stutzla in the bumper, and then I mean, who uh, take your pick? Probably I would expect Jacob Chikrin, but they have in the past had Thomas Shabbat there. Um, I think Chikrin is the the best option as a power play quarterback, but uh, but you were asking about uh, uh, the Brinkett replacement. I think the obvious choice is, is uh, uh, Drake Batherson. Okay. Um, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. He was a huge surprise. He was a center left wing eligible. Uh, 19th in terms of his end of season rank. ADP was 140. So that's another huge jump. 37 goals, 67 assists, 201 shots on goal, 53 power play points. I okay, so I didn't talk about this on the previous sh- on the previous show when we talked about forwards and we talked about the Edmonton power play. They had three guys in the top 50 power play performances of all time. Like the, Ryan Eugene hopkins is in the top 30 in terms of power play production ever. Of all time. Connor McDavid, I believe, was fourth. Leon Dreisaitl, I think, was top 10. Uh, and then Ryan Nugent Hopkins is there. I think Nikita Kucherov also broke top 50 this year. But that's... <laughs> that's insane. That's crazy. Um, His IPP was fairly average for him. Shooting percentage, extremely high. 18.41%. It's usually around 12%. So that's massive. on ice shooting percentage... Fifteen point eight seven percent, which is the highest since they started tracking with stats. So that is <laughs> that's that is insane. <laughs> that's the craziest thing. The craziest stat. Rate stats all very typical. Shots per sixty seven point four three. Individual Corsi four per 60, 12.12. Individual scoring chance four per sixty eight point seven six. Not really world-beating numbers. This is a major flash in the pan. Worth noting, though, he's still playing on the Edmonton power play. So anything's possible. That is an unbelievable power play. He's still going to get points that way. But 100-point season, I just don't see that happening again. Like, that was utterly insane for Ryan Nugent Hopkins. He's not that type of player. I frankly don't know where I'm going to be drafting Nugent Hopkins. I don't know. Um, I'm going to have to see how projections kind of... uh, kind of work out for him and what what people are expecting from him i'm going to be looking at numerous sources um what do you think bixie what what is your feel on nugent hopkins because i think it's i think we're probably on the same page and that this is a flash in the pan for him
1: yeah i mean it how can it not be right like not just a historic season but a massive jump to a historic season and you know the conversion on a shooting percentage 1587 like that's insane right as a team that's insane and then for him to be an 18% shooter is like how how can you possibly expect to repeat that so I'm, I'm feeling a lot of comparisons to Duchenne right where you're like this can't continue obviously this has to come back to the mean in one way or another and much like Duchenne last year, I feel like anything past an ADP of like 90 is really good value. That top six is, in, is intensely good. He's going to be on the exact same line with Dreisaitl and Kane, which is incredibly good value right there for him. So I like it. Obviously, his, his ADP is going to jump considerably yes and any anything past 90 i'm in are you going are you oh. going lower than that
0: are you going oh my god yeah i i do think i do think i'm drafting him higher than he would have been hmm. last year like definitely in the top 100 i just don't know where man i'm i'm, I'm not 100 sure i think 70s 80s maybe um i don't know I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to take a look like again I haven't looked at a, at a whole list uh, I haven't done my rankings yet it's still too early so um, but again he's not he's not 100 100 point player like he was last year definitely not all right why don't you take us through the next player on our list here
1: oh okay big Willie style William Nylander Dual wing eligible, ended up 22nd on the season, which feels a bit low considering the season that he had. His ADP was 62, massive value there. 40 goals left him tied for 14th with 47 assists and 293 shots on goal, which was 13th in the league. He had 20 play, 28 power play points. He was tied for 36th in that column. His IPP was 67-44, And his shooting percentage, 1365, both typical metrics for him. His highest time on ice at 1832 in his career. Um, I think we all expect that to continue. He has really solidified himself as a more important part of the Leafs than he was regarded going into last season. His shots per 60 metric left him 15th with 11.56, so past that 10 10 uh, mark that you'd love to see his individual scoring chances for per 60 was 20th at 2036 and individual scoring chances for per 60 was 12th at 12.83 all career highs I think the most important question is does he come back to Toronto is that like a completely a given for you and when you move on from that question as an automatic yes for you as a Leafs fan, as a fantasy hockey prognosticator, does it continue or does it, like, improve? Do they lean on him further? There was there was some mixing last year where Marner went, went down to the second line and he went up to the top line. Do you think that that's going to happen again this year? Do you think anything changes for him on the Leafs or are you just expecting more of the same and for him to be a a 20 to 30 uh, level player at the end of the season again?
0: I think if he stays with the Leafs, yes, I think, I think you see more of the same. Um, I would say for the first time I am questioning whether or not he will be back even as early as this year. Um. Based on the, based on all the reports about the contract talks right now, uh, it sounds like they're pretty far apart. It sounds like Neilander wants what he's worth, which I think is high nines, eight tens, uh,
1: yeah.
0: and the Leafs don't want to pay that. Um, and quite frankly, I understand both sides. Like you can't be paying that many players over ten million dollars a year. You just can't. And Neilander has priced himself out because uh, he has performed way above his 6.9 that he's making right now. So um, for the first time, I could see there being a Nealander trade before the season starts. They do need to free up cap space. I'm not sure how they're going to do that. It sounds like they're trying to get rid of Matt Murray. Um, either that, whether it's with LTIR or whether it's in a deal where they give up a draft pick or whatever. Um, but I, I, that being said... Putting Nylander in a different position, I think on on almost any team, he's a top line player. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I I really, man, I really don't see his production changing that much just because of what he generates on his own, the way he drives play offensively. Um, I think he is just like a top twenty five guy in the league, Um, and he's done it with John Tavares, who obviously, like, we're gonna talk about him in a minute. He low key has produced very well on his own as well, mm-hmm. even though people don't really notice. Um, but I still think that Nylander um can can drive a line himself. So um I think regardless of where he ends up, he's still he's still a guy that I would take in like the second, third round. Uh probably late second, maybe late second. I guess third round is 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 the wheelhouse for William Nylander for me. Um, so like I mentioned, the next guy is John Tavares. He got that dual eligible, uh, that dual eligibility just because of that short time playing with Ryan O'Reilly, where he played on the left wing for like five games, but, uh, he's a center left wing probably won't be going into next year. I imagine he's just a straight center. Uh, he ended up 24th, uh, in terms of his rank, his ADP was 71.6. He had 36 goals, 44 assists, 277 shots on goal, which was 14th in the league, 112 hits, which is pretty high for a forward and actually pretty high for John Tavares in general. Um, he's throwing his body around a bit and 39 power play points, which was sixth in the league, which is pretty crazy because, as we've mentioned before, Nylander and Matthews didn't have eye-popping power play numbers. It was Ch- John Tavares and Mitch Marner really got the bulk of the power play points in Toronto. Um it's a very bizarre distribution, but, uh, he, he was very good on the power play, um, highest hit total of his career. Like I mentioned, uh, 80 points in 80, 80 games, low key point per game player. Uh, everyone just keeps talking about this John Tavares decline. He's still producing in the regular season. Um, IPP was 70%, shooting percentage 13%, both very normal. Lowest time on ice of his career, so even with a dip in time on ice, he was at 1739, still producing at a pretty high level. Shots per 60, 12th in the league. Individual courts, for 4-per-60, 28th. Individual scoring chances, 4 for 60 Are you ready for this? First, first in the NHL at 15.72. Those are all career highs, by the way. Um, Would you have guessed that John Tavares would be first in the league in individual scoring chances for 60? I know I wouldn't, but he was there. First? No. Mm -hmm. Doesn't seem like there's Yeah, doesn't seem like he's in decline like everyone says. Uh, He is grossly underrated and likely still will be in drafts next year. I wouldn't be surprised if he's drafted lower than 71. Like if his ADP is lower than than that next year, even though he had such a great year. So I'm all in on John Tavares going into next season. I'm a believer based on these numbers. What do you think, man?
1: Your forecast for this season was exactly the same thing, right? It was almost a verbatim quote, like people are lower on Tavares than they should be. He quietly had a great season last year. And this is you saying this before the previous season that we were just in, right? Like, so, Everything really worked out swimmingly for him. I don't see the hits coming back, especially with them adding grit to the lineup, right? They have sure. three other players that they brought in that are going to be the hitters for them. I don't see a need for him to hit. I don't know why he would want to, but it's possible. It's possible he continues to hit. I don't see why they would do that. The, the pace is phenomenal. The scoring chances, four per 60 being first, is – like it's not just surprising it's kind of shocking and how how can that continue right how does that continue like so just like last year i'm worried about decline and just like last year you're not worried about it at all and when it comes to the leaves i defer to you so i'm going to i'm going to trust your mark on that i'm going to trust you <laughs>
0: I mean, I'm hopeful at the very least. I, But really, really, like, I'm talking regular season production. In terms of playoff production, it's a different story, right? Like, that's what, and that's what really matters at the end of the day as a Leafs fan. All right. Why don't you, why don't you round us out uh, our last forward on this list before we kick off the defenseman?
1: Timo Meyer, dual wing eligible, ended up 25th on the season. His ADP was 37. He had 40 goals, which left him tied for 14th, 26 assists on the year, 327 shots on goal was tied for sixth, 154 hits still banging, and 23 power play points, which was tied for 59th in the league. His IPP was 68-42 with San Jose, down to 50% with San Jose in 21 games, shooting percentage around 12%, which is normal for his career. His time on ice took a sharp dip from 1958 in San Jose to 1747 in New Jersey. Shots per 60 and individual Corsi four per 60 took a slight dip with New Jersey, but still elite numbers. And his shots per 60 left him fifth on the season at 1301. Individual Corsi four per 60 fourth at 2381. And individual scoring chances four per 60 was fourth at 14.6. The underlying numbers are elite. He bangs. He's in a much better situation. They cleared about cleared out a bit of room for him in the top six. They made him uh, a premium player with contract. I have concerns that he takes a step back in terms of elite underlying metrics, given that there are so many other shooters on the team, right? Like, 327 shots on goal, leaving him tied for sixth, it has to come down, right? It has to come down. He spent a bulk of the season on San Jose being really the only shooter on the team, and they just don't need him to do that in New Jersey. So it's a much better situation overall, but it's the classic being the only guy on a bad team going to being you know, the second option on a great team and how much does that affect his overall numbers? Normally, I feel like it's a wash in those situations when when you go to a much better team and are relied on less. Fantasy output-wise, it it tends to be a wash. With Meyer, I feel like it's going to be a little bit more of an aggressive dip, right? Like, I feel like he's going to do a little bit less and the output is going to be kind of significantly less. But I would be more in line with, with seeing it as a wash if a bunch of his output were normally assists, right? If he were If he were as a career player more likely to dish than to shoot, then it would be easier for me to see him like be right in line and end up 25th and be – a top 40 ADP player, but I, it doesn't feel that way to me going into New Jersey. Like I I feel like you're going to still have to draft him around the 30 range and it's going to be less of an output this year, but that's, that's really more gut feeling. Like we just didn't get to see enough of him in New Jersey to know, and they're slightly different now than they were into that home stretch. So I have a lot of question marks on Meyer and last year I was happy to draft him at that ADP. And this year I'm, I'm not so excited about it. Like it, it seems riskier than it was last year in San Jose.
0: Yeah, it's definitely riskier. I'm not as scared about his rates going down. Although I think you make a good point in that, um, he's probably going to be playing with Jack Hughes a lot. Who's also a big, a big underlying rates guy in terms of shot production. So, um, was it so high because he was the only option on San Jose? Maybe. Um, my concern is the ice time dip, um, because he's not going to be relied on as much as he was in San Jose again, because he was their only guy. So, um, that's where the counting stats are going to come down, which is what in the, at the end of the day, that's what counts. Um, in fantasy hockey, shots are going to come down, hits are probably going to come down, uh, even if the rates stay the same. Um, so yeah, I do have some concerns about Timo Meyer going forward in New Jersey, even though if the situation is better for him. Um, maybe, but like like you said about assists, like maybe they come up a little bit because he's playing with better players. I don't know, um, but um, yeah, I mean, I I I think that. I'm still interested in him fairly high, but not in, like, the first two rounds like I would have been last year. Like, last year I would have been, like, jumping all over him in the second round, which I was, uh, it, it, especially in leagues that have some bangers weight. I was all over Timo Meyer. But for me now, it's kind of more like a third, fourth round. And honestly, like, he's more of a known commodity than he was in the past. Now that he's been in New Jersey, now that he's been in the playoffs, like people know about Timo Meyer, He was the big like trade deadline acquisition. So he's going to be harder to pick up at the proper value. Um, so I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens there. But yeah, I, I think there is going to be a pretty significant decline for him, although he's still going to be a a, a very useful fantasy player. All right, let's talk about defensemen. So our first defenseman, this is the most obvious one. Uh, It's Eric Carlson. His ADP was 133.5, but he ended up ranked first among D. 17th overall, which is pretty amazing for a defenseman. Uh, 25 goals was first among D. 76 assists, also first. 209 shots, 33 hits, 90 blocks. 27 power play points, which is tied for 10th among D. Uh, 101 points which is a career high we haven't seen a 100 point defenseman in forever i think brian leach was the last one in the 90s brian leach, so yeah. that's that's unbelievable um highest ipp of his career 67.33 which is crazy um considering uh he was such a central player in ottawa uh highest shooting percentage of his career 11.96 which is unbelievable for a defenseman typically closer to seven so there's definitely going to be some negative regression there uh, i don't think he's a 25 goal guy perennially uh, average time on ice 25 36 that's his highest since he was in ottawa kind of makes sense because he was now the lone power play quarterback in in san jose now that brent burns was gone that freed him up that freed burns up uh in carolina uh, I think it was good for both of them to set to be separated. Um, so that uh, it kind of makes sense um, that his time on ice went up. Second highest individual scoring chances for per 60 of his career, 5.77 um, his individual course, four per 60 highest since being in San Jose again, probably due to not playing with Brent Burns shots per 60, similar to other San Jose years, but still considerably less than in Ottawa. Um, yeah. So I, I, I mean, There's probably negative regression coming here, uh, but he's still an elite defenseman. He's still premium, probably top five in terms of fantasy value if he stays healthy. Um, The other thing is we don't know where he's going to go. It sounds like he's going to get dealt. Um, I've heard rumors of Seattle, which would be very interesting. Uh, I've heard rumors of... I mean, there's, there's a few different places. Apparently, Carolina's interested, which, like I said... (laughs) <laughs> A little bit weird considering that would be getting him and Burns back together, but maybe with D'Angelo yeah. going back there, that kind of nixes the whole Eric Carlson interest. Um, although that hasn't become official. I still haven't seen anything there. So so we don't know that that's necessarily going to happen. But uh, I don't know, man. What, what's your take on Eric Carlson here?
1: I think I think it's all kind of moot until we figure out where he's going to play. Right, like there's obvious regression coming. It's there's almost zero. I mean, it's not it's not zero. It's non-zero, but there's almost zero chance that he continues on this pace. And there's a really good chance that he is not in San Jose. Um, the The narrative fan and me wants him to go back to Ottawa. Like, I would really love yeah. to see. <laughs> It'd be a swap where they send to and he comes in and that would be a really cool situation, but it's so up in the air that I don't know how to feel about him fantasy drafting wise. Like it's, it's absolutely a player that we will have to revisit once things are more clear as to where he's going to play. And after the season he had kind of regardless of where he ends up, you're, you're going to have to, pay for him in your draft and i don't i don't want to i just don't want to like 76 assists on a bad team at nearly double shooting percentage for his career averages like none of this seems repeatable no matter where he goes so um, i'll definitely be shying away from ek65 for sure all right why don't you talk about our next guy here Next one on the list, Brandon Montour, an ADP of 156. His rank among defensemen was fourth. He ended up 38th overall. Also, very impressive finish. Uh, 16 goals was tied for 757 assists, was seventh. 242 shots on the season with 92 hits and 93 blocks. His 33 power play points was third and 73 points with career highs across the board. His previous high was 37 points. His <laughs> IPP and shooting percentage were very typical. By far the highest time of ice of his career was 24.07, up a full six minutes from last year. The indoor, individual rates near the highest of his career, but still reasonable. Those rates per 60 shots, ninth. Of course, he four, 12th. And individual scoring chances for was 10th. So phenomenal metrics there um elite numbers seems like the real deal finally getting the ice time and the power play one time you've got him earmarked as a top 10 defenseman next year i'm surprised that you are not more scared given the glut of talent defensively for them in florida like you you clearly just believe after one season what what is telling you that that is a guaranteed continuation?
0: I think what's telling me that is uh, they had him on PP1 the entire year, and they did not shy away from Brandon Montour. I, I think the opinion of Aaron Eckblad is starting to sour a little bit. Okay. Um, yeah. And because they have the same coach, because they had a playoff run where Montour also played fantastic, I think he's absolutely their PP one guy. Whether he plays with Ekblad or whether Ekblad gets pushed down, I think Montour is the guy on power play one. I think these minutes are reasonable. Um, I think the underlying numbers are great. I just think that he is the real deal, man. I I, I I'm all in on Brandon Montour. I'm all in on him being a top ten defenseman. Um, I think there's a couple other names that we're going to talk about who had big breakout years that I'm not stoked about, but Brandon Martor is not one of those guys. Like he is, he's the real deal for me.
1: So before we move into those guys, quick question. He ended up fourth amongst defensemen and 38th overall. Are you drafting him as the fourth defenseman off the board? Is he a top 50 player draft wise for you? No, I don't think so. Even I, I I'd, even I think even believing I, you're not going that high, that's, that's I'd
0: be scared high. to. I'd that's be scared grand. to go that high. I'd be scared to go that high. I think there's guys like uh, you're talking about the fourth best defenseman. Uh, I can think of guys. Well, just off the top of my head, Kale McCarr. I draft ahead of him. Uh, Roman Yossi, obviously. Dougie Hamilton. Um, I mean Adam Fox. I think I'm pretty close to drafting higher than him, even though. Montour had a better season I think that's actually more of a conversation uh I mean certainly more than it was last year uh but yeah I I, that's a good question I I'll have to think about that I that's that's another thing I'll have to research a little bit more and and we'll revisit that a little bit later um but yeah, uh, Brandon Matur. I'm I'm big on him for sure. Uh, our next guy is Josh Morrissey. His ADP was 165. His rank was sixth amongst D, 51st overall. He had 16 goals, which was tied for seventh. 60 assists, tied for fourth. 170 sh- 172 shots, 89 hits, 119 blocks, 28 power play points, which is tied for eighth amongst D. 76 points, obviously a career high. Also, his previous high, a previous career high, exact same as Brandon Montour's 37 points. So, two massive bumps, almost the exact same production. Uh, Josh Morrissey's underlying numbers tell a very different story, though. His IPP was 18% above his previous career high at (laughs) (laughs) 58.02. His shooting percentage about two to three percent above normal at nine point three, not crazy, uh, but still a little bit high. On ice shooting percentage highest of his career as well, eleven point five five. No significant bumps in individual rate stats or time on ice. He just all of a sudden converted like crazy. Uh, he's got negative regression written all over him, more than any other defenseman in my opinion. Like I really don't believe in Josh Morrissey as being a top defenseman next year. Uh, Will I be drafting him higher than he was? Like, I think he he has more value than being drafted at 165. Absolutely. Um, But he's not a top six defenseman. Absolutely not. Um, Top 15, maybe. There's a conversation there. Uh, But yeah, there's some significant negative regression coming. Uh, He's not a 76-point guy. Absolutely not. Like, this is his absolute ceiling. So what uh, what do you think about Morrissey here Bigy I mean 60 assists on the
1: season does not does not seem attainable um, 34 of those that even strengthen and 26 on the power play right like it just it doesn't seem trackable what I am really interested in though is that, his total shots attempted this year was three ninety five versus three fifty one last year, which were both significant bumps from a career high of two fifty eight, uh, and one hundred and seventy two landed on goal this year, one hundred and seventy three last year. Right, so I'm I'm less scared of the the shooting percentage being a jump, given that he is now in the. T- 25 year old plus part of his career. He's taking more shots. Right. And he is converting on net, at least at a better rate and scoring at a better rate. But what really scares me about his point production is the 60 assists part. Like I don't, I don't see a world where he gets to 60 assists again. We're talking about a 25, maybe 30 assists player. And, you know, 16 goals, the the way he's shooting and, and the amount that he has begun to shoot seems very repeatable to me. It, it wouldn't shock me at all to see him shoot at, at an average, you know, 8% across the league like defensemen do. But uh, the assist part just it just does not seem repeatable for me. So I think you're going to drop probably 30, maybe 40 points going into next season. And this is absolutely a high-water mark. I think a lot of what he's doing is repeatable, but the assist portion just it just doesn't seem repeatable for me at all.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I'm quite that down on him um, in terms of that much of a point dip. But yeah, I think the assists are going to come down. I, I do think he solidified himself just because of that production last year as the power play one quarterback. So that definitely... um. That definitely helps. Like uh, Up until last year, uh, he was kind of split in time with Neil Pionk on that top power play, so that that kind of restricted his production. Um, but I think, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, like we both said, I think there is still going to be a steep decline here. Um, who you got next here, Banksy?
1: Next on our list, Mikhail Sergachev. His ADP was 138.7, and he ended up ranked 8th amongst defensemen and 67th overall. He had 10 goals and 54 assists, which left him 8th. 156 shots, 128 hits, and 149 blocks with 27 power play points tied for 10th on the season. He had a career-high 64 points. His IPP was slightly higher than normal at 53%, and his 6.41 shooting percentage very normal for the career 11.59 11.59 on ice shooting percentage, highest since rookie season, likely due to the increased power play one time. 2348 time on ice was one and a half minutes above career high. I think we can directly attribute that to the power play time. And his shot metrics per 60, 58th, Corsi 4 per 60, 47th, and scoring chances for individual 35th. So again, very in line right like if we expect things to be the same next year in supplanting headman as the power play one quarterback and and producing with those elite level players seems very very reproducible his eighth amongst defensemen rank seems pretty much exactly where i would track it right like i expect him to be drafted higher but the actual production to be almost exactly the same right like it worked for them and them putting headman on the back burner and kind of saving his legs throughout the season is exactly what they should do and seems like they're going to do the exact same thing so the shots hits and blocks were really really exceptional and he got some some actual production out of it with 64 points so uh, as much as we've been talking about probable regression through this list. I see this as being exactly the same next year. I think it's going to be very much the same season and I'm I'm happy to have him where I was very cautious last year going into drafts.
0: Yeah, I think there's peripheral value here like you said. Um he's kind of done that perennially. Um and I I do kind of expect him to to stay on power play 1. We talked about it last year, you just talked about it now, but I think Tampa wants to save Hedman's legs for the playoffs. Um, And uh, I I think Sergachev is a perfect guy to play on that top power play where you're not really sacrificing um, offensive talent by putting him up there. I think him and Hedman are kind of a wash in terms of what they can do offensively. So, um, so why don't you put the guy that you're probably not going to play as much in the playoffs or that you maybe don't trust as much, why don't you put him on the top power play and then play the shit out of him during the year um, he's developing in the right way I think like you said the numbers are reproducible uh, I like Sergeyev a lot um, yeah probably probably a top 8, top 10 guy next year um, but again I'd like to see some preseason what, what they're doing uh, with their lineups and, and, and practices uh, in September um, before I make that proclamation for sure. Justin Falk in St. Louis, his ADP was 116.4. His rank was 14th among D and 95th overall. He had 11 goals, which was tied for 21st, 39 assists, 196 shots, 112 hits, 140 blocks, 10 power play points, which is tied for 43rd. He had a career-high 50 points. Uh, His IPP was a little bit high for him at 44.25 and shooting percentage a little bit below average for him, which is 5.61. His on-ice shooting percentage down 2% from last year, uh, which it was 11.58%. Not surprising that it was down because St. Louis had a ridiculously lucky year the year before in terms of shooting percentage. Their shooting percentages were super high. um, And we were expecting regression for them. We saw it across the board. Uh, his individual rate stats were higher than the last two years. Uh, he actually saw a bit of a bump shots per 60, 25th, individual courtsy 4 per 60, 56th, individual scoring chances, 4 per 60, 38th. He's still probably the second power play option, um, but he steps up when Krug is hurt. The thing is, we've, I, I mean, it's been out there that they're trying to trade Tory Krug. So, is Justin Falk the top power play option if he leaves? Um, is Scott Perunovic? Um, because he's a guy that seems to be in line for that in the future. Uh, he obviously had an injury that put him out all year last year in a year where it seemed like he was probably going to be playing in the lineup, and they probably could have used him, honestly. Um, we'll see. But in, until then, uh, Falk is an interesting option. I think there's a range of... Of potential values for him uh, or projections, uh, but it's kind of hard to track at this point. What do you think, Bixby? What's your take on Justin Falk?
1: I am a huge believer in Scott Perinovich. Um, I do think that they'll trade Krug and, and kind of continue the teardown. But as much as they had an absolute just just trash can of a season last year, there is a lot of talent on that team. And it's pretty evenly spread out. So whether he gets onto power play one or not, he is going to be on the power play and he's going to get some burn, whether or not Krug is there, whether or not Brunovich comes back and flourishes. Um, I like Falk a lot. And I think that you're going to get like excellent value out of him being your third or fourth defenseman on your team. If you're able to get Falk, behind some some upper level defenseman then you're going to be very very happy with it if you're drafting him as your second uh, defenseman and just kind of fingers crossed that he gets bumped up to power play one you you might have a little bit of disappointment in there but uh, an incredibly reliable fantasy player I feel like 14th amongst defensemen is a little bit high of a finish and regardless if things get better for him in St. Louis I think that's that's a little bit high to hope for that again, um, but an excellent depth player on your fantasy team for sure.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, all right, why don't you take us home with our last defenseman on our list? Last
1: one on the list is Vince Dunn. His ADP was 159. He ended up 16th amongst defensemen and 104th overall. He had 14 goals, which left him tied for 50 assists, tied for 10th. On 149 shots, 115 hits, and 80 blocks, he had 15 power play points, which was tied for 28th. He had a career high 64 points on the season. His IPP was very typical at 45.71. His shooting percentage, although highest of his career at 933, he is on average a little bit lower than the average across the league at six to seven percent. He had a huge jump in hits. His on-ice shooting percentage, 13-11, very, very, very high. Twenty-three forty was the highest of his career by three minutes, and his individual rate stats are actually the lowest of his career. Across that, 74th in shots per 60, 63rd in individual course he 4 and 61st in individual scoring chances for it. The negative regression is incoming. His increase in ice time and power play time is great. But you're pretty concerned about shooting percentage and on ice shooting percentage in seattle being insane on the year so from what i can tell you think that the team situation and his success in that team situation is going to dip a little bit just based on it being incredibly high but that he's still going to get all of the time on ice he's still going to be in a prime position so i mean i think a lot of us across the league we're, we're pretty shocked about Dunn's output for this year. Do you think it's repeatable for a variety of reasons being different than this season? Or do you think it is kind of a, a too wide of a range of outcomes for you to project and be and be happy with drafting?
0: Yeah, there's certainly a wide range of outcomes. Um I think he had a lot of notoriety or not notoriety, but just like um, he was widely noticed as someone that broke out this year. So I think he's probably going to be drafted higher than I would like. Um, now there is, I mean, we mentioned before Eric Carlson rumored to potentially be going to Seattle. So that would obviously tank Vince Dunn's value. I think his ice time would go down significantly, although they'll probably play together five on five. Eric Carlson obviously would be the PP one quarterback. Um, and that would hurt Vince Dunn's offensive value greatly. So um, we'll see the jury sell out on that. Like I think if uh, they don't make a move on defense, um, you can probably expect him to get 55 points, 50-55 points. But Seattle across the board was one of those teams where their percentages were just super high all year. Um, they performed well in the playoffs. Um, they looked honestly really solid. For the most part, but I, I just I, I think there's gonna be a regression across the board there. there. There just has to be. Um, they didn't really make a lot of big moves. Uh I it sounds like they're they're looking for some talent in the trade market, some top end talent. That's what what I'm hearing. So there's guys like William Nylander, uh Ooh. Alex Debrinkett, Vladimir Teresenko, guys like that those names are out there in terms of people that Seattle want to acquire. Uh, And then Eric Carlson as well. So I mean, we'll see, we'll see what happens with them. I'm just not super sold on Vince Dunn being this high in terms of the defensive rankings. So um, I think there is going to be some regression here, but I still think that he is a valuable guy. Um, If like you said, with Justin Falk, like I'd put him in, a similar category. Um, although there is a little bit more upside in terms of he, he'll probably get a bit more power play time. Um, but I think that he's kind of in that same category. If he's your third or third or fourth guy, I think you're laughing. Um, but if he is anything higher than that, you're probably in trouble. (laughs) All right. Well, that's all we have for today. Um, if you like our content, check out the Apples and Geno's Patreon. You can support the show on a monthly basis and get extra perks in season, including access to the Apples and Geno's Patron League and extra weekly waiver wire articles and podcasts from Nate. There is a temporary off-season tier for only $2 a month where you can get early access to Nate's projections as he makes them. You're going to want to check that out. He already has uh, a, the first few teams out, so there's some including value in the Colorado. Ad. For those of you curious right. about Colorado, including Colorado. That's very true. So there is some value to that $2 a month tier. So if you like it, if you want some projections, if you're getting pumped about fantasy drafts, you're going to want to check out that Patreon. Um Hop into the Apples and Geno's Discord server. We're talking fantasy hockey over there, even though it's the driest time of the year for fantasy hockey. Shoutouts to the band they're there for providing our music. Their Spotify link is in the episode description. Give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter. Binksy is at BinkleMania. Nate is at Apple's Genos. Blake is at Blake Creamer AG. I guess that's changed, hasn't it? It has. And I'm at just Josh in 401. Also, follow us on Threads. I'm at just Josh in 1992. Nate is at Apple's Genos. Blake is at bl Cream with an E (laughs) and Binksy. I mean, we're recording this literally just after we recorded the the last podcast, so uh, Binksy still doesn't have it, but maybe by the time this one comes out, Binksy will have it. And I imagine we'll be at Binkle Mania. Look for me, I'll Uh, be there, I'll
1: figure it out. All right, sounds good.
0: Please practice safe stats and happy summer. Have a good one, folks. Goodbye, world.